Well, friends, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open in them to Daniel chapter 9. We're going to be looking at verses 9 to 19, I'm sorry, 1 to 19 here this morning. And as we begin, I want to tell a brief story from Jack Miller. I was reading through his little book on repentance this week. I've read it before, but had the opportunity to reread it as I approach this text. And if you don't know who Jack Miller is... Uh, Jack uh, was uh, part of really the one who started the New Life Churches. Uh, really, the, the church he started is over in Glenside, but we came out of that church. World Harvest Mission, uh, now known as Surge, was a part of that. And so just orienting you as to who this person is. But in his book, In Repentance, he talks about this revival in Uganda that started in 1938 and, and at least proceeded through to 1975 uh, when uh, Jack first wrote this book book, and he talks about a man named Kefa Simpangi. Uh, he was actually, he was worshipped here uh, at New Life in the past, in, um, or in the New Life churches in the past, but the story he told Jack is, is of the church in Uganda and how, uh, what happened when this revival started. By revival, I just mean a, a unique movement of the Spirit. When people came to faith and there was just gross, uh, growth in the understanding of the gospel, and, and Simpangi would say this, he said, there became unusual honesty among the church in confessing sins to one another. How about that, huh? Hey, come on over to my house. We'll confess sins to one another. You'd sign up pretty quickly for that one, right? Well, there was that unusual confession of sins, but what he said marked the church as a result of this was actually expanding joy, right? And that doesn't necessarily make sense in our minds, does it? He said it wasn't uh, unusual for uh, two members of the church, one member approaching another, and, and the one might have this down look on their face and this look of consternation, and they would be stopped by another brother or sister in Christ and said, have you confessed your sins today? And then they'd quickly follow up with the question with, have you seen the cross of Christ today? And that was just normal as you were walking down the street. And, and the expectation is not just that there was this dump of, oh, here's all of my sins, but, but really there was that confession, but this expectation that, that they saw the cross of Jesus Christ, and when they confessed their sins, they left them and their burdens there at the foot of the cross. It just got me thinking this week. Am I a repenting pastor? Am I one that is just continually confessing? Because that's what's happening here. They're confessing their sins the way that we rebel against the one true God in thought, word, and deed. Do I confess that to God and turn away from it? Because technically the term repentance means a turning. And do I turn to the cross of Jesus Christ? Is that just a common experience in my life? I think I could say I wish I could say it is more than it is. And then the broader question struck me is, are we a repenting church? Is this something that would mark the church? Because as we approach Scripture, repentance is everywhere. It is the normal rhythm of of what it means to follow after the Lord. And so we're going to unpack what we mean by repentance throughout the rest of this sermon. But but there's really two ways that we can approach repentance. Uh, if you are here and you're just trying to explore God and, and who He is and what this crazy church thing is, why do we gather, why do we sing, why do we talk about Jesus in the Bible, uh, for you, repentance is actually the entryway into an actual relationship with the God of the universe. 
If you have never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, if you have never repented from following after another God, right? What what the Bible says is we're always following someone. We're either following the one true God or we're following something else. There's no Switzerland, right, in our soul. There's no neutral nations. We're either following God's enemy, Satan, that's what Ephesians would tell us, or we're following the God of the universe. And the way we enter into that following and that relationship with him is by turning away from our rebellion of heart, following after another God, and turning towards him. But for the believer, repentance is also a part of our lives. And and, and let me just say this. When we sin, we're going to sin after we enter into a relationship with God. It doesn't sever that relationship, right? The book of Romans tells us nothing can separate us from the love of God once we've placed our faith in him. However, unconfessed sin that builds up it distances us from God relationally. Think of it maybe as a Wi-Fi signal, right? Have you ever had that experience where the router's in one room and, and there's a few cinder block walls between the router and our computer and you're just like, oh, I'm just not getting a good signal, right? In a way, brick by brick, when we rebel against God as believers, we're just putting another brick in the wall and messing up that signal. Think of it relationally, right? If if me and Sarah, if if I just keep doing things that she said, Anthony, that is unloving. You're not loving me when I do that, right? And I just keep doing it and we never forgive each other. We never articulate that. That harmed you. What do you think is going to happen to the intimacy of that relationship? Do you think it's going to be joyful? Do you think we're going to be close? We'll still be married, right? Confession is, we call it, or repentance is really keeping short accounts removing those walls that become barriers as we still rebel against God until he comes to make all things new. Jack Miller says two things. There's two reasons we don't practice repentance. Here's the first one. Many who call on Jesus as Savior are loaded down with pretense and evasion, and they have no heart for confessing and forsaking their ways as God commands them. So this is what I would call Waze Christianity. You know Waze, the app? Have you ever used that thing? Uh, you, you know, you download it and it'll show you where all the cops are, right? And so you're just like evading the cops. You're like, uh-uh, nope, they're not going to catch me over here. And they're not going to, and you just kind of keep evading it. And that's, that's this first picture of, of it's someone saying, no, I'm, I'm just kind of evading God. I'm not going to repent and, and, and cry out to him for his mercy. You know, in some ways, if that's the pattern of our heart, I would actually begin to question whether or not there is true faith at work in us. Because the Bible very clearly tells us that, that, Light and dark don't have fellowship with one another. And if our heart has been changed, there will be that longing of that restored or repaired relationship. Here's the second category of the reason why we don't repent, is that many of us have an awareness of our guilt, but we don't know how to go to Christ and rid ourselves of the dark blots, he says. In our secret heart, God is seen as an unsympathetic tyrant, not as a father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we're going to attack those two reasons as to why we don't repent as we walk through the text here this morning. And and this is going to be a a, a different sort of text in this section of Daniel. Up until now in this section, it's been a lot of different uh, visions. But today, Daniel enters into this prayer of intense repentance. And then next week, Clint's going to uh, guide us through another vision that comes at the end of this. But but we're just going to, I'm going to start off, I'm going to read all 19 verses. I know you're like, that's a lot of verses, and it might feel long. But, you know, it's more important for you to hear from God than it is for you to hear from me, first of all. Uh, and second of all, I just want you to just settle in and listen to his prayer of repentance and just pick up on some of the items that he prays here, okay? Can we do that? 
So we're settled in. If you have a Bible, it would be great if you followed along there. If not, it will be up on the screen. But uh, Daniel chapter 9, 1 to 19. You ready? Here we go. In the first year of Darius, the son of... Uh, Hath- I can't even say that word today. By descent, Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely, 70 years. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong, and acted wickedly, and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants or prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belong righteousness, but to us open shame, as at this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away, in all the lands, to which you have driven them, because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belong open shame, to our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. The Lord our God belongs mercy and forgiveness, for whom we have rebelled against him, and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws, which is set before us by his servants and the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law, and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse of the oath that was written in the law of Moses of God has been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. He has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us, by bringing upon us a great calamity. For under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us, yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore, the Lord has kept ready the calamity that is brought upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he has done, and we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand, and has made a name for yourself, as to this day we have sinned, we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger, your wrath, turn away from your city Jerusalem, your holy hill, because for our sins and for the iniquity of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all the nations around us. Now therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy. For your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations, that the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not. For your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. Friends, this is God's word. Pray with me as we begin. Lord, we need to be repenters. 
or those who are gripped by how every single one of us has rebelled against you. And Lord, frankly, we continue to do so. And Lord, we equally need to be made aware of your great mercy that you give us for your own sake. And so Holy Spirit, would you bring us to that place today? And Holy Spirit, would you use my words, but most importantly, use and apply your words to our hearts. We love you, Lord. Be with us, we pray in your name. Amen. All right, friends, so uh, here's where we're headed. Here's the first point, at least, and it's a little bit different than what's in your outline. I changed the last word, but the first point we want to look at is that promise drives repentance. Promise drives repentance. Now, did you get a sense of where Daniel was before he launched into this prayer and what he was doing? Did you hear that in the first couple of verses? It says, I, Daniel, in verse 2, perceived in the books the number of years according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet. So the sense is what's happening here is, is Daniel's waking up in the morning, right? Maybe it's the morning. He's grabbing his cup of coffee. He's going out and sitting down and he's opening his scrolls or his Bible, right? And he says, I perceived in the books, and it says it's the books given to us, by, given to him by Jeremiah the prophet. And so he's basically reading his Bible, first thing, right? For you, if you woke up this morning, you opened to the book of Jeremiah, and you had a personal worship time, personal Bible reading out of it, you were doing the same thing that Daniel was doing thousands of years ago here on this very day. Fascinating, huh? And what does he say? It's talking about the timing. Uh, the, it says the number of years uh, that must pass before the end of the desolation of Jerusalem. And so he's like, I'm reading in Jeremiah, and Jeremiah tells us how long we're going to be in captivity if we're ripped out of the promised land. And so what he's essentially reading is from Jeremiah, either chapter 25 or 29, uh, maybe even both, right? Because he was probably reading for a while. And so I'm just going to read to you from Jeremiah 29. Read a verse, kind of an oldie but a goodie, something that we're familiar with, right? Something that some of us might have on our screensavers or a coffee mug or a shirt, right? Here it is, ready? Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for your welfare and not for your evil, to give you a future and a hope. Mmm, that's a good one, isn't it? That's a good screensaver. Spiritual yummy? Mmm, that is a good verse. Do you know what the context is? You know, usually we read this and we're like, this is God saying, I'm going I'm to give you that great thriving business or lots of money or that relationship, right? Plans to prosper you, my welfare, not for evil. If we're reading it like that, we're reading it wrong. Here's a verse that comes just before it. Ready? For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. That's the verse that comes just before it. Do you know what he's saying? He's saying, hey, my people, you're in captivity. Do you know why you're in captivity? Because for hundreds of years, you hardened your heart to me. You ran after other lovers, other gods. You gave yourself to them. You sacrificed your kids to them and your life to them. And I begged you, I sent judges and prophets. And you said, no, we're good. We're good. I'm going to go follow this God. I'll dabble you. I'll sprinkle some, some Yahweh in there. But, but we're going to go after this one. Stop. Don't go that way. Stop. Don't go that way. I'm warning you. This is going to lead to tyranny. We're good. And here they are. And that's the context of which Jeremiah 29, 11 is given to us. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for your welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. He's saying, you screwed it up. And even though you did, 
I still have good plans for you. You're not going to undo my will for your life. And I will bring about the repentance that you can't even muster. He keeps going. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations, all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. You know what Daniel does? He reads that. And he goes, we're approaching the 70-year mark. Now, whether or not that 70 is, again, that, that number 7 is the number of completion. It's a round number. So maybe he was being particular with 70, year, or 70 years. Maybe he was giving something general. But either way, Daniel read that, and he looked around at his people, and he goes, Oh, Lord, we haven't repented yet. We haven't sought you with our whole hearts. Time is drawing near. And he hits his knees. And he repents for himself and for his nation. Friends, promises drive repentance. God's word is what opens our hearts to reveal what's really there. And it drives us to our knees to cry out to him for mercy. Here's a story. A number of years ago, we moved in with my in-laws. We thought it was going to be for six months. It ended up being for two years. Uh, it was it was quite the time. You parents, thank you for being so gracious to your kids when those sorts of things happen. But uh, I love my in-laws dearly. Uh, but there were times where we disagreed. And there was one moment where me and my father-in-law, we disagreed about one element. I'm not going to go into detail out of respect for him and our relationship. But but it was this moment where we disagreed about something spiritually. And, and I was just like, oh. You're just wrong. It's my freedom in Christ to be able to do this thing that I really want to do. Yes, even in your house that you're graciously allowing me to stay in, right? And I just remember this day where I'm like, well, I'm going to do this thing anyway, right? I'm free in Christ. Here we go, right? So I did said thing. And then, you know, he he knew I did said thing and, and he was, you know, very, he didn't say much and and he was gracious. And I sat down, I was reading 1 Corinthians 8 and 9, which talks about Christians and how we're supposed to handle our rights and really lay them down for the sake of other people. And man, the moment I read that, it was like the Holy Spirit just swept me and stuck his foot on my neck. It was just like, you have sinned against your father-in-law and against me. It was just one of those moments. And if I wouldn't have been in God's word, I just I really would have continued on in my arrogance. And I just got up after reading, and I confessed to the Lord, and I just walked down the hallway, and I was like, Dad, I am so sorry. But that's what God's Word does. You know, Hebrews 4, 12 says, God's Word is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates to divide soul and spirit and joint and marrow. Friends, it's God's tool that He uses to do heart surgery. To show us how broken we are and how desperate we are for his mercy. And as exiles, which this is a book for exiles, it is our smelling salt, first of all, to wake us up to the fact that God's not out of control when the world is kind of crazy. But it's also smelling salt to wake us up to how woefully broken and rebellious we are and how desperate we are for him. If we're not in God's word, we're probably not repenting. Full stop. Because that with the Holy Spirit, is what the Lord uses to reveal our sin. Here's the second point. Repentance focuses on God. 
And that's what we read as Daniel jumped in. Repentance focuses on God. It says he's in sackcloth and ashes. This is a position or a posture of deep mourning in verse 3. And then he starts and he says, I pray to the Lord. And listen to how he starts. O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Isn't it interesting that Daniel doesn't start with, I'm terrible, I'm terrible, I hate myself, I'm terrible, right? He starts off with God in his greatness. And all throughout, he weaves through an understanding of God that, that you have to dig a little bit to, to really get to the bottom of. When he starts off, he says, you're a God who keeps covenant and steadfast love. That's what we call covenantal language. And in fact, uh, if you pay attention, the word Lord, all caps, right? Capital L-O-R-D, is said nine times in this passage. And do you know it's the only time in the book of Daniel it's said? Daniel is focusing in on one unique aspect of God, that he is a covenant-keeping God. Now, a covenant is a, most simplistically, it's God entering into a relationship with us, right? When you see that word loving kindness or steadfast love, that's his hesed. And that word Lord means Yahweh. Whenever it's Yahweh in Hebrew, that's how the English translation tries to set it apart, by putting it in all caps. And that's what we see in the book of Exodus when God begins to give his covenant to his people. Now, what is a covenant? Well, a covenant is technically a legal expression for a relationship where commitments are made and have the form of penalty for non-compliance or blessings for compliance. And this is really, it's a little bit foreign to us, but, but it's essentially a treaty. And it's often like a suzerain vassal treaty or a Hittite treaty from the ancient Near East where there is a greater nation who enters into a relationship with a weaker nation. You know, for us, when we see God's law, we're like, oh, God is a cosmic curmudgeon. Why does he give us all these laws, right? But for God's people in Exodus, in the book of Exodus, it was a mercy. You know, God had delivered them from Egypt. He had already entered into a relationship with them. And he said, I'm going to tabernacle among you, right? I'm going to, I'm going to dwell among my people. He led them as a pillar of fire, right? But friends, you've got to understand that They've experienced God. It's kind of like us trying to communicate with a space shuttle getting ready to launch. That feeling of, I am just too close to this thing. He is so big and glorious and beautiful. How do we engage in a relationship with this God without being eviscerated, right? And God in his mercy said, here's how. Here's who I am. Here's how you engage with me. Here's how you love one another because I made y'all, by the way, right? And that's what God's law is. That's why the psalmist says, oh, how I love your law. Not, oh, you're a curmudgeon. They recognize it as the God of the universe entering into relationship with his people, which is different than any other religion in the world. Friends, we don't, we don't get covenants very well, right? Uh, maybe the closest we can get is contracts. But we break contracts all the time, don't we? Every time you open a TikTok account, you're like, I've read the terms of agreement. Check. You didn't read that. No, you did not. You just gave all your information to some foreign country somewhere. That's what just happened. God's people took it seriously, although they couldn't keep it. Praise the Lord, we see that God could keep it. But in this, in these covenants, there are blessings and there are curses. The reason I say that is because he references it here, where is it? In verse 11 where he says, the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, has poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. You know, God took this relationship seriously and he said, I want you to follow me. 
If you don't, there are consequences. Leviticus 26 is a list of the consequences. Deuteronomy 27 and 28 are a list of the consequences. And it says in verse 7 that all righteousness flows from him. And so God is keeping his word by keeping up with these curses. We don't want to follow a God who doesn't keep his word. And we don't want to follow a God who is unrighteous. If he doesn't stick to his word, he would be unrighteous. They find themselves in captivity because they basically chose to follow after another God and God stuck by his word. Praise the Lord, Deuteronomy 30 exists. That's the list of blessings. And do you know what's embedded in there? It's this promise that if his people were to turn away from them and be carted off into captivity, if they were to repent, he would relent. And that leads us to this thing called the new covenant. Verses 9 to 11, it talks about how to the Lord belongs mercy and forgiveness. Only God can grant that forgiveness, by the way. And Daniel might not have gotten this as he continues to read through Jeremiah, but but Jeremiah speaks to this. He says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with the fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declare the Lord, I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Now on Communion Sundays, what, what do I say when I raise the cup, right? I use Jesus' words where he says what? This cup is the what in my blood? Do you know? The new covenant. That's exactly what Jeremiah was talking about. Daniel probably didn't get that when he was sitting out there with his cup of coffee that day. But this was pushing our eyes forward to see a time where God would make a new covenant through Jesus Christ, one where he is the one who actually puts the law in the hearts of his people. He enables them to be able to keep it, Ezekiel talks about, and he writes it on their hearts, and he will be their God, and they shall be my people. He's pointing ahead and saying, Jesus' life is the only record that I will accept. His death is the only payment of the penalty that I will accept. And then his resurrection is the only conquering of sin and death that, that will work. And then after that, he puts the Holy Spirit in our hearts so that we, by God's grace, can keep his law. And so here's a question. In your version of God, is he the one who is the covenant maker? Is he the one that sets the agreement of how this relationship should go? If he's not, then you're probably not following the true God. You're probably following yourself, honestly. But here's a second question. If we're gripped with the fact that we are following after every other God but Him at times, do we see His new covenant? Do we see His grace and mercy and forgiveness offered in Jesus Christ? Unless we grasp both of those things, repentance will not easily come. Here's a third point. Seeing this God leads to repentance. Seeing this God leads us to a place where we will actively repent. And I was going to put this thing called the cross chart up. It would be a great visual. I know some of y'all just really want to see visuals. 
man, we are doing some major construction on our house and my wife is out of town. So you're lucky I found my pants this morning. Um, and so I tried at like 10 o'clock to put this stupid thing in the slides. I just couldn't do it. So you're just going to have to bear with me. I'm going to use Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6, right? So here's what happened. The reason we sang holy, holy, holy so much this morning is because that's the picture of Isaiah when he has this vision of being in the throne room of God. When he has this picture of God, he says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And immediately he hits his knees and says, woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips. But then the angel brings this piece of coal over and touches his lips and cleanses him, it says. He's not the one who cleaned himself. God did it through the angels, and that was a precursor for the gospel. Friends, when we see the glory of God, we are dropped. Woe is me. And we will either remain there in despair, or we will try to prop ourselves up in self-righteousness. You know what God's answer is for cleaning us up? It's the cross. That's the coal of the New Testament. That's what leads us to repentance. Now, I'm going to read to you. This is Westminster Shorter Catechism. This is one of our guiding documents as a church. And it's a little clunky because it was written hundreds of years ago, right? But but I sat in this and I studied it, and it really helped me understand what are we talking about when we're talking about repentance unto life. And it's built off of different passages of Scripture. But here's the question. What is repentance unto life? That comes out of Acts chapter 11, and when it talks about true saving faith. It says it's a saving grace where a sinner, out of the true sense of sin, they're aware that we rebel against God in thought, word, and deed and an apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ. So it's not just, woe is me, I'm terrible, but it's also saying, and mercy is freely offered to me in Jesus Christ. Does with grief and hatred sin. We don't keep loving it. Friends, do we hate our sin? Do we hate our sin? I sure struggle. Four, turn from it to God, right? Talked about that. And then finally, with the full purpose of an, of an endeavor after a new obedience. Friends, if, if, if our hearts aren't drawn to then follow this new love, then we're not following Him. Obedience is how that works its way out. That's what the Spirit produces in us. Here's how we see the turning from that we're talking about here, or the true sense of sin. In verse 5, Do you hear how Daniel talks about his sin? We have sinned. We have done wrong. We have acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. He's not blame shifting. He's not minimizing. He's saying, we did it. We are culpable. It's nobody else's fault but our own why we are here. And you gave us your word. You gave us your prophets. And we ignore it. We read it every day. We sing it in church. We sit under its preaching and we ignore it. Are we willing to admit that? Here's the turning too. And friends, this is where if you're walking with other people or even you're examining your own heart, this is when you begin to see the coins drop for repentance. It's when the camera turns off of yourself. Yeah, I know I did some bad stuff, but me, but I, but but this, and I'm not that bad, right? It it tends to be pretty self-focused. But in verses 16 to 19... The language changes. He says, Oh God, according to your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath be turned from your city, your holy hill. He says your over and over again. He takes his eyes off of himself and says, God, I need to follow after you. It becomes about God. 
Verse 16, he says, show us your mercy because you know what? Uh, all this stuff that's happening to us, it's caused your people to become a byword. Do you know why that's important? In the ancient Near East, people thought the God of the nation who beats the other God is more powerful. And so when God's people become a byword, Daniel's saying, God, you're not getting the glory you deserve because we're a hot mess. This is about you, not about us. He said, do this, 17, for your own sake. He said, God, your, turn, make your face shine upon your sanctuary because it's desolate. This is about you. It's about you. It's about you. And he even says, show us mercy for your own sake, not even for us at this point. He's turned away from that sin and he is pointed straight at God. Herman Veldekamp says this. He says, what distinguishes us from the world, he's talking about the church, is not that we are less wicked, but that by the grace of God we have learned to see our wickedness for what it is and that we confess our sins. The church is the only body on earth that confesses its sins. Let me say that again. The church is the only body on earth that confesses its sins. Where the confession of of sin dies out, the church no longer is the church. We've become a social club, y'all, if we're not confessing and repenting. Well, here's the good news. At the end, he says, Oh, Lord, hear and forgive and pay attention to and act and don't delay. And friends, we know from what we've already said about the new covenant that he didn't. In the fullness of time, he sent his son, Jesus, to do what his people over the millennia could not do. 1 John 1.9, it says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And he does this, as Hebrews 4 tells us, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, Let us hold fast our confession, for we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Because of that, he says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace and help in time of need. Friends, how do we repent? We simply pray and cry out to God in confession that we have sinned. And then we see the cross. And so here's our question for us, friends. Have you confessed? Have I confessed? And have we seen the cross? May God make us a repenting church. Let me close us in prayer. Lord, my, my cry is that you would make me a repenting pastor. That I would not be evasive. Lord, that I would not be okay with carrying around this guilt that you tell me I can lay at your cross. And Lord, will you make us a repenting church? Lord, if we are to become a social club, shut us down. Lord, for the heart that doesn't yet know that reconciled relationship with you, I pray that you would enable them to confess and to rely on the cross for their salvation and nothing else. 
And Lord, for the Christian who has been okay with building wall after wall after wall between you and them, I pray that this would be the moment that you knock those walls down by the power of your Spirit. Give us that joy. We love you. In your name. Amen.